0: Welcome again. This is Pastor Steve from First Baptist Church of Artesia, Wednesday night Bible study. We are in the Gospels. This is part 10. If you've been with us uh, through this segment of teaching, you know that we are taking the Gospels, all four of them, and we are putting together and reading them as if it were one Gospel, so that we kind of get the whole narrative of the Gospel story as told from all four of the uh gospel writers we're not reading every single line but we're doing the whole story so we kind of get like a uh more than a 3D view we kind of like a 4D view of the of the whole thing uh the reason is if you read just one of the gospels sometimes you don't get all the miracles or all the stories or all the teachings it's almost like a traffic uh wreck. You know, if four people were standing on four sides of the corner and they saw an accident and the police came and they asked them for the report, they would all agree there was a traffic accident, but their account would probably differ slightly based upon their advantage, based upon who they are, based on what was important to them, what they wanted to tell you. For example, Matthew and Matthew's uh, gospel account you know his original audience were Jewish believers so he wanted to make sure that he touched on the Old Testament he wanted to make sure that he made a connection with those uh, uh, Old Testament uh, Jews who were now coming into Christianity he wanted to touch with them whereas Mark's gospel his is totally different his is his original audience were Romans who knew nothing, basically, of the Old Testament. So that's why Mark doesn't quote the Old Testament hardly at all. He just gives an eyewitness account of events, Luke is kind of the, uh, sort of the same way. Luke the physician. You know, he gives kind of a, his, his original audience are Gentiles. And so he just kind of approaches it from that standpoint. And then God, John's gospel is a little different. It doesn't tell a narrative story from A to Z like the other ones do, the synoptic gospels, as we call them. John's gospel is more concerned about the deity of Jesus. He wants the reader to know uh, that this is God. Jesus Christ is God. So when you read his account, you get that. So when you put the four of them together, you get this four dimensional view. And I think it's something that's, uh, very important to do. And it's, it's, it's a good, uh, it's a good teaching to have. It's a good understanding to have. So let's pick up where we left off last week. I'm going to be in Luke all of today just for continuity. Uh, by the way, on your, uh, on the webpage there, you'll see there is an outline. You can just click on that and you'll have my outline so you can follow along uh, on the outline. You can print it out, make a copy of it and put notes on there or anything that you need to do. But I'll be in Luke today, starting in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 28. This is where a lawyer brings a question to Jesus. It says, and behold, in verse 25, a certain lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. On one hand, what we have here is a lawyer trying, in a sense, to trip Jesus up. Same thing the Pharisees and Sadducees would do when they would question him. They wanted to find out if he was a a heretic or if he was going to blasphemy God. And he asked them a question and Jesus correctly goes to Scripture and uh, he quotes from Scripture. Uh, And he he directs the lawyer and the reader to the law, you know. And so uh, what's interesting about this is that when you read verse 27, he says, And he answered, and he said, You shall love the Lord as your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Leviticus 19. And he's referring to the law there and the commandments. And so... Sometimes they think, okay, well, we're talking about the New Testament here. Jesus is in the New Testament. Why does he direct him to the Old Testament? Well, remember, the Old Testament points to Christ. The Old Testament points to the cross. The Old Testament points to salvation. The Old Testament points to salvation. So think of it in terms of this. In verse 28, he, he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you shall live. Now notice in the context, Jesus is our Lord. Now understand that. This is before the cross, but notice right after the cross, the work is finished. It's completed. Uh, You know, he's buried, ascended, and he ascends in the uh, seat at the right hand of the Father. But notice the answer now. Verse 27, knowing that Jesus completed the work on the cross, was buried, resurrected, uh, ascended to the Father. And he says, and you shall love the Lord your God. This is Jesus Christ. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And then he says in verse 28, uh, uh, he said to him, and you have answered correctly, do this and you will live this is basically he's pointing towards the work that he's about to do on the cross and he says you know if you do this you know you know honor Christ as lord and this is part of our confession of faith that 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 Jesus you know God in Christ is Lord. So he's pointing towards the cross there. Uh, the original audience might not quite have gotten it, but you know, they were in the process of getting it. But when we read it, and we understand it, you know, the Lord, your God, Jesus Christ is God. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. And so that's why he takes him to the Old Testament. And he's not misquoting or, or 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 taking the reader someplace they shouldn't go. He's pointing them towards the cross, but he's using the Old Testament, which points to the cross as the uh, as as the vehicle to get us there. So then, move to chapter eleven. We go into this uh, a few verses here about prayer. You know, prayer is essential to the Christian life. You know, the first thing that we do when for salvation is we pray. You know, we ask God to forgive us our sins. You know, you know we, we confess God. Uh, and all that in everything that we do as a believer, our day should begin in prayer. You know, during the day we should uh, pray at night. We should pray. And so prayer is something that's very, very important. So in Luke chapter 11, verse one and four, which is partially taken from the uh, uh, Matthew chapter six, which is the Sermon on the Mount. But Luke chapter 11, verse one to four, it says, and it came about that while he was praying in a certain place after he had finished one of the disciples said to him lord teach us to pray just as john also taught his disciples let's hold it there what does a good teacher do a good teacher shows you what it is that you're supposed to do you know he does, a good teacher just doesn't tell you a good teacher will 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 guide you and show you you know it's not This is for you to do, not for me to do. No, it's for all of us to do. And so when Jesus prayed, he was showing them what their faith was going to be like, what sanctification is all about, what it is to to approach God, because Jesus knew he was not going to be with them much longer. They didn't quite understand that yet. But Jesus understood that he had to teach them and show them the way to the Lord, and the way to the Lord is through Prayer. So his disciples said, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And then verse 2 of chapter 11 of Luke. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Give us each day your daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation." This isn't a, a repetitious prayer. What he's saying to them, and when you read the account in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 13, that, uh, you know, he's saying, pray in this manner. He's showing them what should be in your prayer. For example, Father, hallowed be thy name. This is reverence to God. You know, we come to God knowing who God is, telling God that we know who you are. You know, you are my Lord, my King, my Savior. You are Almighty God. And notice he says, thy kingdom come. We know that Jesus' kingdom has already come because of the work on the cross. Jesus says this before the cross. So he says, pray that thy kingdom will come. But now that Jesus has done the work, we thank him that the kingdom has come. Because when we confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom has come. He says, give us each day our daily bread. We know and give thanks to God that God supplies all our needs uh, from the beginning to the end every single day. Uh, God has, you know, created all things and he supplies all things to us. And that should be an acknowledgement." Uh, of what God has done. Verse four, he says, and forgive us our sins. Yes, we should always be introspective in prayer. You know, prayer isn't always, you know, my name's Jimmy, I'll take all you can give me. You know, asking God for this, asking God for that, and expecting this, expecting that. You know, prayer a lot of times is just thanking God. Prayer a lot of times is just going before God in all humility and, and asking God for forgiveness. You know, it's that soul searching. It's so who am I? What have I done? What have I become? What should I be? Uh, so he says, you know, look at your 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 sins in prayer. And he says, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Look and see if there's anyone or anything that we should be forgiving. And then lead us not into temptation. The temptation would be removed from us. Again, this isn't a prayer that is a repetitious prayer. But he says, include these elements in your prayer. So they asked him. His Master teaches us how to pray, and he says, "Say it this way, do these kind of things and then the teaching continues here with a parable. Now remember a parable: Jesus is the one who makes teaching in parable uh uh uh, to the forefront, up until the time of Jesus, you didn't have much teaching in parable. What a parable is, is a story that might or might not be true, but it conveys a biblical truth. So in other words, if you're explaining something to someone and you think they might not quite understand, then you give them a parable. You say, well, it's kind of like this. A man did this and, you know, X, Y, and Z, and you're you're creating that story to help them understand the truth that you are imparting to them. And so that's what a parable is. Uh, After the time of Jesus, the teaching of parables becomes uh, uh, the way to teach. It's a very excellent way to teach. But Jesus is the one who brings parables to the forefront. Verse 5 of chapter 11 of Luke. And he said to them, Suppose one of you shall have a friend, and shall go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he shall answer and say, do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs." Understand it in the context of prayer. You know, it's, it's, you know, we go before God and we're persistent in prayer. Prayer isn't just a one-time thing. Prayer it should be a, a, a part of our daily routine. We should be always be in an attitude of prayer. You know, and, you know, he says in this particular parable, he says, you know, be persistent in, in, in prayer. He says, even though you think You know, sometimes people pray, I don't know if you've ever heard this, people pray, they'll say something like, well, God, I know I don't deserve this, or God, if you're not too busy, or God, uh, you know, we make up some little line like that, you know, realize that God is always on the throne, God is always there to listen to us, God is always there to give us an answer where it's a yes or no, or guidance or whatever it is we need. But the point here is that, you know, be persistent in prayer, don't give up in prayer you know, sometimes we might pray something and just because you don't get the answer right away doesn't mean God has not heard your prayer, that God is not in that process. And your prayer is also something that guides you. You know, uh, uh, you know, I pray almost daily, one form or another, the prayer of uh And then that prayer is, you know, that Lord God, that you would bless me, that you would expand my territory, which means more work, more things to do for God, uh, that your hand would be with me, uh, that nothing would be harmed harm for evil and I'd be free from pain. I pray that prayer in various different forms, but the point is that it reminds me that God is the one who blesses me. And it reminds me that anything I get territory-wise, anything that God has allowed me to do for him, it comes from him. And that, and then that, you know, his hand be with me, always remembering to ask God for guidance in whatever it is that we do, whether it's in the workplace or it's ministry, relationships, whatever it might be, Lord, that your hand would be with me. And then, you know, nothing would be for harm or evil, you know, that uh, evil would not approach and get in the way and no temptation there. And then obviously that I would be free from pain. But it is a persistent prayer, but it's a reminder prayer. It it just reminds me of who God is and that uh, God is my source. I am not the source. People are not my source, but God is my source. So he's saying there, be persistent in prayer. And then continuing on Luke chapter 11, verse 9 to 13, continuing to talk about prayer. He says, and I say to you. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock, it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be opened. Now suppose one of you suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish, will he not give him a a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, Will he not give him a scorpion, will he? If then, being evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, this is, you know, encouragement and prayer that when we go to God, you know, we're seeking God. We're seeking God's favor. We're seeking God's blessing. We're, we're also demonstrating to God that we know who he is. He's our king, our savior, our Lord. Uh, he is our all in all, as the song goes, uh, that we acknowledge this in prayer. And what says, you know, verse 9, And I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Now, this doesn't mean anything that you want under the sun. All of this is qualified under what God has and what God provides and what God is doing. He says, and it shall be given to you. You know, again, this is why I pray that prayer. You know, Lord, I ask you to bless me because God knows what I need. God knows what's best for me. I don't always know what's best for me. So if I Try and tell God, God, this is what I need, X, Y, and Z. It's not, it's not going to work out. But if I ask God to give me what's best for me, it will always work out. Uh, it says, seek and you'll find. Not going to shall be open to you. In other words, be persistent in prayer. You know, you seek God. God is not going to turn away from you. God will not uh, uh, fall asleep on you. You know, God, God is always on the throne. And for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. You know, this is prayer. This is what prayer does. It opens up a whole new element into the believer's life, into the believer's walk with God. Prayer is so essential because it it, it takes everything to a whole other level. Prayer is communication with God. And and let me say one more thing about prayer before we, we leave this element of prayer, is that sometimes prayer can just be listening. You know, you go before God and you're just still before God and you allow God to speak to your heart or you allow God to comfort you. or You allow God to, to, to minister to you, however that is. Uh, again, you don't always have to be talking in prayer. It's like, you know, you, we're talking about a relationship here uh, that God hears our prayer, but God also answers and, you know, create an environment to where you can hear God. You create an environment to where you can listen to that still small voice, create an environment to where, you know, God's voice. Cause there's a lot of things that want to speak to us out there that, you know, this or that, and you know, the enemy in the world, whatever our friends, our family or whatever, but the voice that we want to hear is our Lord and saviors. We want to hear God's voice. And so we need to be able to know how to discern God's voice and what is God's Voice, so I just want to encourage you to go before God in prayer on a a, a, a daily a daily basis. Uh, you know to seek God in prayer. You know seek the answer. You know also continue to bring those people uh, who don't know Christ up in prayer. You know those people. There might be family members or people where you live or or work with or whatever they, or that you know, or people that you don't even know you know, uh, pray for them, you know, on a consistent basis, uh, that that God will supply workers and laborers into that harvest, as we talked about last week. Okay, now switching gears here a little bit, we're going to go to verse 14 of chapter 11. Uh, This passage sometimes can be a little controversial, but it really isn't controversial. It's just if you don't understand, if you don't have the background on it, uh, then it, it could be controversial. But I'm going to be reading Luke chapter 11, verse 14 to 23. It says, and he was casting out a demon, and it was dumb. And it came out and it came about that when the demon had gone out, the dumb man spoke. And the multitudes marveled. In other words, this man was changed. His demon came out of him, and he was no longer uh, uh, demon-possessed. He, is, he, he was now acting normally. Verse 15. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. And others to test him were demanding of him a sign from heaven. And But he knew their thoughts. And said to them, "Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a house divided against itself falls and if Satan also is divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Will you say that I cast out demons by Balzebo, and if by Balzebo and if I by Balzebo cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out, consequently." They shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In verse 21, when a strong man fully armed guards his own homestead, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he has relied and distributes his plunder. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me is scattered. Now, sometimes this passage is is a Beelzebul controversy. Who's this Beelzebul? Well, it says right there in Scripture, verse 15, ruler of the demons. And in the Old Testament, uh, you know, he's associated with uh, the God of the Canaanites, Baal, B-A-A. L. Sometimes Bausibul is also looked at as another name for Satan, uh, but notice it says there in verse fifteen, ruler of the demons. But notice, you know, they were again. Whenever Jesus went someplace and he was teaching. Uh They were always trying to test him. They were always trying to trick him. They were always trying to find out if he was for real or what was going on here. And so uh they, they were questioning him. In verse 16, and others to test him were demanding of him a sign from heaven. Now, hold on to that verse because we're going to talk about that one a little bit later. They were asking for a sign. And basically what Jesus says to them, he, he, he says to them that, How could I be casting out a demon by Beelzebul? You know, what I'm doing is the work of God. I'm not doing the work of the enemy. I'm not doing the work of demons. I'm not doing the work of Satan. And he says, even Satan, if, you know, his house would be... be divided if he was trying to to do something under someone else's name. And so what he's, what he's telling them there, he says, he says, the kingdom of God has come upon you because I cast things out by the finger of God, the hand of God. So he's making a distinction there with them. He says, you know, you're trying to associate me with trickery or witchcraft or, or demonology or something like that. And he's telling them, this is the hand of God. The kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, remember a couple of weeks ago, I told you that the intensity of Jesus's ministry, as you read the Gospels, it changes. Uh, in the beginning you know he's at the wedding feast of Cana you know he's traveling around and he's meeting people and he's teaching and he's going into the synagogues and he's doing different things but then later on all of a sudden you begin to notice that his teaching is a lot stronger it's a lot more forceful and then he starts talking about the kingdom of God and then he starts making allusions to you know the hand of God has come upon you or you've, you've seen God if you've seen me you've seen God what he's doing now is he gets closer and closer to the cross he amps up his teaching he amps up what he's saying to them he's not uh, teaching them elementary things anymore now he's taking them deeper into who he really is verse 20 he says but if I cast out demons by the finger of God in other words he's saying he has authority to do this but think about it for a second that they were always trying to trip him up and say well under whose authority do you do you do this under and so he says, But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So in other words, something is coming upon you, and it's the kingdom of God. In this I have authority to do this. He doesn't quite come out yet and say, This authority has been given to me, like he says at the end of the at the end of the Gospels. He's saying, If I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He's saying to them, Look at what's going on. Think about what you're seeing. Think about what you're hearing. Don't just take it at face value. He's not saying that really, really look at what's going on here. Because, you know, his ministry is going to get very, very intense. You know, it won't be much longer, you know, from this way. He's going to be in the garden and he's going to be sweating blood. You know, because of the weight and the pressure of 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 of, of what's going on here, uh, uh, so you know his his ministry is 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 amping up. You know, it's getting uh, it's getting deeper, it's getting more challenging. And he says, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. This should be an eye opener. Anybody standing there or listening to this and, and looking at that should should really just say, whoa, wait a minute, what is he really saying here? This man is saying he has authority by God to do what he's doing. Jesus wouldn't say this in the beginning of his ministry. He would only say it more towards the end, because when you make these kind of statements, you are going to make some people angry, especially the Sadducees and the Pharisees who weren't willing to accept Jesus for who he was. They're going to want to condemn him. They're going to want to, to stone him. They're going to want to take him before the Sanhedrin, as they do. They're going to want to put him on the cross, as they eventually uh, 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 thought they did. But it was actually God working out God's plan and all that. We'll get to that in a, in a few weeks. So this Beelzebub, he says, I'm not doing anything by, this is not demonic work here. This is the hand of God. If I do things uh, this way, it is by the hand of God. Look at verse 24, continuing on this, this thing of evil spirit of an unclean spirit, which started back in verse 14, verse 24 to 26. He says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. In other words, kind of the idea here is like desert where there's nothing parched ground. And not finding any, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. You know, what's interesting here is that Jesus, again, he's giving them some really heavy duty teaching here. He's saying that if he casts out an unclean spirit and that unclean spirit goes out of that person, not knowing how he got it in the first place, not knowing that person's lifestyle, not who they've been associating with, not what they've been going on. If they, in a sense, go back to that old lifestyle, if they go back to what they were doing before, in other words, if they have not been taught, if they have not been discipled, if they have not been directed to repent, to go in another direction, and this is where. what repentance means they 're just going to fall back into the same old sins. How many times have we heard or seen someone or maybe it was even ourselves i don't know that that you know uh, we, we we came to God and asked God to take something from us, and you know you know, and then all of a sudden we feel like God is moving in our lives, and what do we do? We just get complacent, and we just go back to the old lifestyle, and what happens? We find ourselves in a worse state than we were before. And this is the whole point of repentance, that Jesus is preaching and teaching repentance. And this is the thing with preaching the gospel. If you do not preach repentance with the gospel, you have not Preach the gospel because remember John the Baptist making way for Jesus's ministry. His ministry was a ministry of repentance, preparing the people. Repentance is look at your life, look at your lifestyle, look at who you are, look at your sin and make a conscious effort to confess that and say, I no longer want that. I am going to go in a different direction. I am going to leave that state. I'm not going to return to that. And so this is what, he, what he's saying here, that if we're not careful, we'll end up worse than where we were before. You know, you can't play church. You can't play God. This is not a game. This is a life and death struggle. And that's why it's important to preach repentance uh, before salvation, because a person needs to realize they need to leave that old lifestyle and that old way behind. They need to come into the new of, of what God is, is, uh, is doing. And so, in all of this, we have to understand that uh, uh, God is doing a work on the inside of us, and we have to allow God to do that work, and we have to follow what God is doing. And so, if we don't, we find ourselves ending up where we were before, and we find ourselves in a worse state than we were in the beginning. So, again, Jesus is just amping up his, his teaching here. He's going deeper, he's going harder with them. He's really asking them, you know, look at what's going on. Look at look at look at what's what's being taught. Look at what I'm showing you. Look at what's going on. I'm just not casting the demon out of somebody just to put on a show here. I'm just not giving you some teaching uh, so that you'll feel better for today. Uh, And then tomorrow, you're just going to go back into what you were doing before. I'm teaching you something uh, that is life. And this is something that's going to pull you out of death and its life and its eternity with Almighty God. Now, moving on, let's turn to, again, Luke chapter 11, verse 27. We'll continue this passage of teaching, it says, and it came about, he said these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Notice what Jesus does. He says, this is what true blessedness really is. He's he's doing, you know, today we call it a paradigm shift. You know, they said in verse 27, it came about, while well, he said these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the, is the womb that bore you and the, the breast at which you nursed. And then he says, verse 28, he says, on the contrary, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Wow. I mean, think about it for a second. She's saying one thing. She's trying to give honor and praise and glory to something other than God. And he says, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. So, you know, here's the paradigm shift for them so that they understand exactly what's going on. That uh, uh, you know, you, you know, blessed are the ones who hear the word of God and the ones who observe it. Okay, so now let's go into our last bit of scripture here. Passage I think we 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 hear a lot of, and I think it, it, a lot of sermons come from it. But notice the context and what it has been being given. Remember, I always say to you that when you read scripture, context is very important. You have to read Scripture in the context in which it was given. That's where the power and authority of Scripture is. It's in the context. If you take anything out of its context, it loses its its authority It loses its its power. It's like if you're if you're reading a book and you just take a line out of one chapter and a line out of another chapter and another one, and you try to string them together and now say that this is what this book is about, it's it's going to be nonsense. It's not going to make any sense because you've taken everything out of its context and you're missing so much there. Scripture, you have to understand it in the context. Any passage, like we're going to read here about the uh, sign of Jonah, notice the context. The context is what we've been talking about all, all through this teaching here. He's been talking about prayer, and he's been talking about, uh, 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 you know, the authority of God. He's been talking about uh, uh, what happens to someone, you know, when, when when a demon is cast out of them. Uh, he's talking about uh, who we should give praise and honor and glory to. And now he goes into this thing about, about Jonah. And it's very interesting that the context of it comes out of this long discourse in chapter uh, 11 of Luke. So, let's look at luke chapter eleven verse twenty nine to thirty two It says as in the crowds were increasing. let's hold it right there the crowds were increasing from the beginning of jesus's ministry they were following him left and right they were following him uh, all over they they were they were uh they were either after a quick healing or they were after sensationalism or you know there were some that were recognizing that this is a prophet of god there were some recognizing this is a teacher of god there were some that might probably begin to feel that this is you know it was actually messiah come but as his ministry goes longer, the crowds are increasing. So it means it's harder for Jesus to move around. It's harder for Jesus to do what he has to do. But also he's getting closer to the cross. That's why the teaching gets a little uh, harsher. And Jesus's answers sometimes are very uh, abrupt. They're very uh, uh, strong, you know, strong responses that he gives here. So verse 29, again, in chapter 11 of Luke. And as the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is a wicked generation. Let's hold it there. All these people are following him, and he turns around and he says, this generation is a wicked generation. Don't forget, this is God. He is perceiving these people. He knows their hearts. He knows what they're after. He knows whether they're sincere or whether they're not sincere. So verse 29, as the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign. Now remember, uh, earlier in the passage, they were asking for uh, a sign from heaven. Verse 16 of chapter 11, it says, and others to test him were demanding a sign from heaven. So Jesus goes on with his teaching But this is part of the response to them asking for a sign. Verse 29 again, and the crowds were increasing. He began to say, this generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign shall be given to it but the sign of Jonah. Wow. We know the story of Jonah pretty much. You know, Jonah was called by God to go uh, to Nineveh and 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 to preach repentance to them, and he didn't want to do it. And he gets on a boat trying to flee from God. God brings a, a storm. And you know the story. He gets thrown overboard. And he ends up in the belly of a great fish. And uh, the great fish, he's three days in there. And then he's, you know, he comes out of the fish. He's on land. And he ends up having to complete the ministry that God called him to. And so he says, no sign shall be given but the sign of Jonah. Right now, if you don't know who Jonah is, You have no clue as to what Jesus is talking about. And this is why it's important to know the Bible. This is why it's important to know the Old Testament. It's important to to know how things are connected. Because what is the Bible Jesus taught from? It wasn't the New Testament. New Testament wasn't written. He's teaching out of the Old Testament. So everything he quotes, everything he does is from the Old Testament. So for a Christian and for a believer, we need to know our Bibles. We need to know the Old Testament. We need to know about, you know, not just, Uh, Genesis how things got put together you know but we need to know about Abraham and faith we need to know about uh, what was Moses really doing with Pharaoh and, and what was all that about you know it wasn't Moses and Pharaoh it was really Pharaoh and God Moses was just the messenger and what was all that about the wandering in the desert and why did all that happen and what's the stories with King David and the priesthood and all these things and the divided kingdoms and all this stuff and being taken off off the land and, and the prophets. all of these things come together. all of them tell us this story, this this, this, this this package of of who we are as a people. And if we don't connect with that, we miss our story. It's just like if you were trying to put together your genealogy and you knew uh, say your mother and father's history, But you didn't know your grandfather, grandmother's history, but you knew your great-grandfather's history. There's a gap there. And so some of the stories are going to be incomplete. You're not going to have a full connection there. And so with the Bible, we have to have a connection. So he says, no sign shall be given but the sign of Jonah. So verse 30. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, So shall the Son of Man be to this generation. What did Jonah do? He preached repentance. What was the sign? The sign is repentance. He says, you're looking for a sign. You're a perverse generation, but you have to understand you have to repent. You have to change who you are. You have to listen to God. You have to look at something that's bigger than you, that's bigger than your circumstance. So that's why I say this passage in Jonah, without knowing what came before it, what he's talking about, about prayer, and what he's talking about them, about, about repentance and knowing Jonah's story, you're not going to make the full connection. Verse 30 again, for just as Jonah became a sign, in other words, he witnessed to them about repentance, and they repented. To the Ninevites, so shall the Son of Man be to this generation. What is he saying? This generation, this perverse generation needs to repent. And you could say that about every single generation that has been born on this planet. Today's included. We need to repent. We need God in our lives. We need to change our direction. Uh, We need to look at God. Then verse 31, it says, the queen of the south shall rise up. No, the queen of the south. Wait a minute. Where is this coming from? The queen of the south. Queen of the south is queen of Sheba. Sheba is, it talks about here. Let, let me read the whole thing and so you can get the quote. The queen of the south shall rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold Something greater than Solomon is here. In other words, the Queen of the South came to Solomon for wisdom, for understanding. This is in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 1 to 10. It's talking about uh, uh, Queen Sheba, and she, you know, the Queen of the South. She was from the Lower Arabian Peninsula which is currently uh, the country of, of Yemen and Ethiopia. This is where she came from. And so that's why they call her the Queen of the South. The Queen of the South shall rise up with the men of this generation judgment and condemn them see because what he's saying is she came for wisdom she came for understanding she knew that solomon knew god that solomon lived there the temple was there so she came to him for guidance she came to him for instruction this is what he's saying to them because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of solomon and then he says and behold something greater than solomon is here solomon Again, if you know your Bible, he's referred to as what? The wisest man in the Bible. And Jesus says something greater than the wisest man in the Bible is here. And we know this is Jesus Christ. Verse 32, the men of Nineveh shall stand up with this generation of the judgment and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Wow. The gospel, repentance. This is why I say to you, you know, the gospel is on every page of the Bible. And I think the church has done itself a great disservice over the years when we stop preaching the gospel, when we stop talking about repentance, when we start talking about self, we start talking about what can I get, what can God do for me, or I need this, or I need that. Story of the Bible is repentance and salvation through Jesus Christ. Story of the Bible is gospel. Story of the Bible is the cross. Redemption for our sins through Jesus Christ. Confession of Jesus Christ. Verse 32. The man of Nineveh shall stand up with his generation at the judgment, condemn it, because they did what? They repented at the what? The preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater then Jonah is here because Jonah could not give them salvation. Jesus Christ gives us salvation. That's why something greater than Jonah is here. So what you have in this passage, kind of like five points in here of, Nona, of, of Jonah. First thing is crowds are increasing. They're pressing in on Jesus. Second thing we need to remember, Jesus is closer to the cross. Uh Third thing is teaching has an urgent tone to it. Then we get this, you know, story of the Queen of the South, Sheba, you know, uh, lower part of Arabia, the Queen of the South, current Yemen and Ethiopia. That's where she came from. We have the story of Jonah preaching repentance, you know, like John the Baptist preached repentance, you know, Jesus preaching repentance, but also bringing salvation. And so remember the repentances we need to turn away. We need to acknowledge who we are as sinners and turn away from that. And that now positions us for salvation to hear the gospel message, to really understand and believe in our hearts that God so loved us. He sent his only begotten son to die to pay the price on the cross for our sins. And if we're willing to believe that and confess that, uh, uh, the result is we enter the kingdom of God. Something greater, uh, than, than Solomon and Jonah has come along. And it's, it's wisdom through Jesus Christ. It is salvation through Jesus Christ. But understand first, we have to repent. We have to be willing to let go of all those things that for so long we thought were so important. And realize those things are not important to us anymore. What's important is that we cling to God, because God will always cling to us. Once he has us, he will never let us go. Amen. Praise God. I just want to remind you uh, that for the next few weeks, and probably even after we get over this uh Virus lockdown thing that we're we're in we're probably still going to be putting our, our our things online. So if if you can't make Bible study on on Wednesdays, looks like all through April we're we're not going to be able to to meet. But hopefully maybe in, in May we can. But however long we can, we're going to be recording these and they're going to be they're going to be down on the on the, on the on the website for you to look at along with all my notes. So I just want to remind you uh, to email us at info at fbc artesia.com. If you have any questions or concerns about anything, uh, I, I can answer those questions. And also, check us out on our Facebook page. Like it and share it. Tell your friends. Go to our church webpage site uh, often because that's where all our updates are at. And our newsletter is, is out. And make sure we that we have your email address. If you're not sure if we have your email address, email us and give us your email address and we'll check it. So this way, that whenever we send anything out, you'll be on the mailing list and you'll be sure to get it. And then one more thing I'd like you to do. Go on to our YouTube page. Just type in First Baptist Church of Artesia. Our page will pop up on uh, YouTube. Uh, click it and subscribe to it. Uh, and then I encourage others to do the same thing. This is how we get our message out. And this is how we can uh, preach the gospel. Uh, not only during this time, but I think this is something the way we're going to be preaching the gospel uh, to this generation from now on. So I just want to thank you for joining us and being with us. And uh, let me just close in prayer. Lord God, with honor and praise and glory, again, we just thank you for all that you're doing for us. We thank you that you keep us safe, Lord, Uh, all our family members. Lord, whether they're uh, living with us or around us or in another state, Lord, that uh, you just watch over all our family members and keep everyone healthy, Lord. Help us to use wisdom in all that we do. Uh, We just pray for our government our country, our, our, our federal, state, local government, uh, that we all work together, Lord, to get through this crisis, Lord, and so that we can get back to our our normal lifestyles, Lord, but most importantly, so that we can get back to congregating and giving you all praise and honor and glory, Lord. So, Father, in us, we just give you praise, thanks, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. See you soon.